0: In August 2020, the Clinical Pharmacogenetic Implementation Consortium published new dosing guidelines for proton pump inhibitors and CYP2C19 variants. As access to pharmacogenomic testing continues to rise and interpretation of those results becomes more complex, we rely on Mayo Clinic pharmacogenomic experts, like Dr. Kate Reagan, PharmD, to walk us through PPI dosing in patients with different metabolizer phenotypes. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz, let's listen in on how great this podcast is.
1: The objectives for our discussion today will be to define actionable PPI drug gene associations. We'll discuss the current pharmacogenomic PPI guidelines, and we'll be talking about the 2018 Dutch Pharmacogenomic Working Group, as well as CPIC, the Clinical Pharmacogenetic Implementation Consortium's new 2020 guidelines. And our final objective for today will be to review some primary literature depicting the CYP2C19-guided PPI dosing. Before we get into our first objective, I just wanted to give a brief overview of what pharmacogenomics is. As we know, patients respond to medications, and that response is due to a whole host of different factors. Some of those can be external, some of those can be internal. One of those potential factors is pharmacogenomics. And what pharmacogenomics is, is using each person's individual genetic makeup to help guide medication selection and medication dose selection. As we know, we would expect each person to respond to the same medication the same way. But as we see, some patients may not respond favorably and see no response with those medications, whereas others may actually experience a toxic side effect from those medications. And where pharmacogenomic testing comes into play is by being able to have those PGX results preemptively before the patient even takes that first dose of the medication, we can help predict which patients are going to be more likely to respond favorably or less favorably or even be more likely to have side effects from those medications. So this brings us to our first objective, looking at this actionable PPI drug gene association. So the class of medications we are talking about today are stomach acid reducers. They work by inhibiting the proton pump. Some common indications for these medications include treating GERD, heartburn, H. pylori eradication, even peptic ulcer disease. Some common adverse reaction to these medications does include some GI upset or even diarrhea. A lot of the long-term adverse reactions we see can include things such as lupus, increased risk of enteric infections, such as C. diff-associated diarrhea, low magnesium, low vitamin B12, and even an increased risk of bone fractures. When we look at the specific agents within this class of medications, we can break them down into two generations. The first generation includes lansoprazole, omeprazole, and pantoprazole, and those are listed on the left-hand side of the slide. Our second generation PPIs include dexlansoprazole, ezomeprazole, and rabeprazole. All six of these medications, though, are metabolized or broken down to their inactive form, primarily by CYP2C19. They do have some metabolism through CYP3A4, but most of that metabolism is done by CYP2C19. And so what is CYP2C19? This is the gene that encodes for the CYP2C19 protein, or enzyme, that is the primarily responsible for metabolism of these medications. It's highly polymorphic with 37 defined variants, and these different polymorphisms can influence the metabolism and clearance of certain medications, including our PPIs. Today, as we go through some of these guidelines and review some primary literature, we will be talking about different metabolizer phenotypes. In the very middle of this diagram here, we have our normal or extensive metabolizers. These are what we consider to be average or normal, and a majority of the population has a normal metabolizer phenotype. If we look at the left-hand side of the picture here, we can see patients can have reduced enzymatic activity and can be an intermediate or even a poor metabolizer. On the other hand, we can see we can have even increased enzymatic activity where patients will either be a rapid or an ultra-rapid metabolizer. So now that we know what PPIs are and we know what CYP2C19 is, we can look at how these two are linked. Again, we want to take a look at these based off of the generations. Our first-generation PPIs, there is a substantial body of evidence showing an association between variability and this gene and the metabolism and clearance of these three medications. When we specifically look at those who have reduced enzymatic activity, so our intermediate and poor metabolizers, we see that these patients can have reduced clearance of these medications and thus a higher level of concentration of these medications within the body, which has been shown to lead to improved treatment success with standard doses. For our patients who have increased enzymatic activity, such as our rapid or ultra-rapid metabolizers, we can see these patients are likely to have increased clearance of these medications so lower levels of those medications within the body, which can put patients at an increased risk for treatment failure. Now, when we look at our second-generation PPIs, which again includes dexlansoprazole, azomeprazole, and rabeprazole, we see that there is a lot less evidence both in quantity of studies as well as quality of studies. So CPIC, the primary guidelines we will be talking about today, does not provide recommendations for the second generation PPIs, except for Dexlansoprazole, and the reason for that is it has been shown to be similar, pharmacokinetically and evident um, clinically, to Lansoprazole. So CPIC does provide recommendations for all three first generation PPIs plus Dexlansoprazole. And this does bring me to my first question today: A patient comes to your clinic with a new start Esomeprazole. 20-milligram um, tablet daily for GERD. They recently had pharmacogenomic testing done, which shows they are a CYP2C19 ultra-rapid metabolizer. The patient is curious if these results would affect their new medication. You can respond to this question at pollev.com forward slash or text MayoRx to 22333. Our options for this question include, A, would you increase their dose? B, would you decrease the o- azomeprazole dose? C, would you recommend to continue the current dose? Or D, would you recommend switching to an alternative medication altogether? Okay, I see the responses have started to slow down a little bit, so we can go ahead and talk about the answer here. And I do agree with the majority of the responses and that I would recommend in this case to continue their current dose. Option A here, increasing the ezomeprazole dose, could be a potential answer if the patient were to tell you that they were not seeing any effect with that current ezomeprazole dose. Because as we know, although we have dosing guidelines and recommendations on what dose to choose for our patients, knowing how they're responding to a specific medication and using that information to make changes is very critical. Decreasing their ezomeprazole dose could, again, be another potential answer if the patient were experiencing side effects from the medication. And option D, again, if the patient wasn't seeing a response to ezomeprazole, or even if the patient's insurance was not covering azomirapazole, you could consider switching to an alternative medication. But based on this patient's pharmacogenomic results alone, being a CYP2C19 ultra-rapid metabolizer and the medications that CPIC provides recommendations on, it would be more appropriate to continue their current dose. Which this brings us to our second objective for today, which is to discuss these current pharmacogenomic guidance. In 2011, the Dutch Pharmacogenomic Working Group published the first CYP2C19 PGX guidelines. In 2018, they did release an update. And finally, in August of 2020, CPIC published their first CYP2C19 PGX PPI guidelines. And today we will be reviewing the Dutch update as well as CPIC's new guidelines. If we look at the 2018 Dutch Pharmacogenomic Working Group guidelines, we can see on the slide that they provide recommendations only for the first-generation PPIs, so omeprazole, lansoprazole, and pantoprazole. When we break this down based off of phenotypes, we can see that the Dutch only provide dosing recommendations for those who are an ultra-rapid metabolizer. The Dutch break down the recommended increase in the dose of those medications based off of the agents themselves. For example, we see that if we were to give someone omeprazole to treat an H. pylori infection, the Dutch would recommend increasing that dose threefold, so multiplying that standard dose by three. When we look at some of these others CYP2C19 phenotypes, we see that the Dutch do not provide recommendations for anybody who is a normal metabolizer or who has reduced function of these enzymes. And we will talk a little bit more about those differences here in regards to the CPIC recommendations. So when we do take a look at our CPIC dosing guidelines, we can see CPIC provides a lot more robust recommendations and provides a recommendation for each type of CYP2C19 phenotype. As we walk through this, CPIC for ultra-rapid metabolizers recommends increasing that starting dose by 100% for all medications. And again, CPIC provides recommendations for our first-generation PPIs plus Dexlanzoprazole. For our rapid and normal metabolizers, CPIC recommends starting at that standard dose, but then also considering an increase by 50 to 100% for two specific disease states, which include an H. pylori infection or erosive esophagitis. Now, the fact that CPIC provides a recommendation for a normal metabolizer is something that is unique and is new, So we wanted to be able to really highlight this fact because as pharmacists, as healthcare providers, this is something that we do need to keep an eye on. And finally, for our patients who have reduced enzymatic activity, so an intermediate and a poor metabolizer, we can see that CPIC recommends starting these patients at that standard dose, but then considering decreasing that dose by 50% or cutting it in half in patients who need to be on therapy for chronic treatment, which is greater than 12 weeks. And the reason for that is, is some of these patients have been shown to be at an increased risk for potential side effects with that long-term use. And as pharmacists, we always want to evaluate our whole patient and consider what other medications our patient is taking. This is where drug-drug interactions come into play. As we know, these PPIs are primarily metabolized by CYP2C19, but do have some metabolism by CYP3A. In patients who have reduced CYP2C19 enzymatic activity, so for our intermediate and poor metabolizers, we see a fractional increase in the CYP3A activity in these patients. So for patients who are taking a CYP3A inhibitor, we, these patients may be at an increased risk for adverse reactions due to that decrease in metabolism. And this is particularly seen in patients who are chronically using a PPI who have that reduced CYP2C19 activity. This is a concept called phenoconversion, where we have a drug-drug-gene interaction, where one drug is inhibiting or inducing the activity of the enzyme that that other medication relies upon. We then also need to consider if what would we, what we do if we have an inducer of an enzyme, in this case for CYP2C19 or CYP3A. Increasing the activity of these enzymes may lead to reduced exposure to these PPIs and even treatment failure. Finally, what we also need to consider is, what is my PPI doing to the other medications my patient is taking? And as we know, there can be some drug interactions, particularly with esomeprazole and omeprazole, which actually inhibit CYP2C19. And so finally bringing all of this together, I have put both both dosing recommendations up on the slide here. On the left-hand side, we can see CPIC's 2020 recommendations where they provide a more robust dosing guidelines compared to the Dutch working group, which is pictured here on the right-hand side of the slide. Most notably, CPIC has one flat recommendation for ultra-rapid metabolizers, whereas the Dutch provides different recommendations based on the medication. CPIC also has recommendations for our rapid, normal, and reduced enzymatic activity phenotypes as well. And this brings me to our second question today. A patient comes to your clinic with a prescription to start omeprazole 40 milligrams by mouth daily for severe GERD with a start date of today. They recently had pharmacogenomic testing done, which shows they are a CYP2C19 ultra-rapid metabolizer. Knowing what you know about the guidelines we just reviewed, what would you do? A, would you recommend increasing their dose by 100%? B, would you recommend increasing their dose by 50 to 100%? C, would you recommend decreasing their dose by 50%? Or D, would you recommend continuing their current dose? And again, you can respond to this question at pollev.com forward slash MayoRx or text in your response to 22333. Okay, looks like we have about the same answers here as we did on the first question, so we'll go ahead and review the response here. And I do agree with everyone. The recommendation per CPIC's 2020 guidelines would be to increase their omeprazole dose by 100% since they are CYP2C19 ultra-rapid metabolizer. Answer B would be incorrect due to um, this recommendation, is for patients who have a rapid or normal CYP2C19 phenotype. Answer C, decreasing the dose, again, would be incorrect in this scenario, as this recommendation is for patients who are an intermediate or poor metabolizer using a PPI chronically, which again is greater than 12 weeks. Answer D would be a potential consideration as well, and that these these recommendations are CPICS recommendations, and the... the, um, Disease state guidelines have not put any recommendations regarding pharmacogenomics and their guidelines yet. So D, you could continue this current dose and see if the patient responds, knowing that they may need that increased dose due to their pharmacogenomics results. So now we'll move on to our third and final objective today, which is to review some primary literature contributing to these dosing recommendations. The first study we will look at today is looking at the pharmacokinetics of three different PPIs in the Chinese population. The, this study wanted to examine the potential pharmacokinetic characteristics of omeprazole, lansoprazole, and rabeprazole in the healthy Chinese subjects. They wanted to see if and, um, variants in CYP2C19 could account for some of these inter-individual reactions that they had noticed. This was an open-label, randomized, three-way crossover design. They had blood samples from 90 healthy, unrelated Chinese volunteer. From there, they then randomly chose 18 individuals with a normal metabolizer, intermediate metabolizer, or poor metabolizer phenotype. The reason they did not include the rapid or ultra-rapid metabolizers in this study is due to the fact that the star 17, or increased function allele, is at very low frequencies within the Chinese population. Finally, this study wanted to then assess plasma concentrations of these three PPIs after a single oral dose, and they gave 40 milligrams of omeprazole, 30 milligrams of lansoprazole, and 40 milligrams of rabeprazole. So what the study found was that for these three different pharmacokinetic parameters, area under the curve, half-life elimination, and then maximum plasma concentration, we can see that they broke down these results based off of each of the medications. In regards to the three columns of numbers we have, the first column with all ones in it is referring to our normal metabolizers. The middle column is referring to our intermediate metabolizers. And the third and final column on the very right hand side is referring to our poor metabolizers and what this information shows us is that as patients who had that reduced enzymatic activity all three of these pharmacokinetic parameters actually increased with the poor metabolizers having the highest pharmacokinetic parameters meaning that these patients were likely to be metabolizing breaking down or clearing these medications slower compared to those who have that normal metabolizer phenotype. And so what this study really concludes and contributes to clinical practice is really showing this, and the fact that those who have this reduced enzymatic activity can actually have higher concentrations of these PPIs, which not only can lead to increased treatment response, but in the long run could potentially lead to an increased risk of adverse reactions. The next study we will look at today, again, is looking at different CYP2C19 phenotypes and the risk of some of these associated infection rates, which is a potential adverse reaction. This study specifically looked at the pediatric population and included patients from age 0 to 36 months at time of PPI exposure. This was a retrospective biorepository cohort study. The evaluators of this study looked at post one year of PPI start date, how many infections each of these patients had. And what this, um, tri- what this study found, again, was looking at the different types of CYP2C19 metabolizers we have. And they broke these down based off of those who had reduced enzymatic activity, normal activity, or increased activity. They did not differentiate between all five of those phenotypes. The middle column is looking at the total number of patients based off of each of those phenotypes, and the far right column is looking at the total infection rate and they did report this as infection rate per person per year and So what this study really found was that normal metabolizers had the most amount of infections they didn't they found a statistical difference between rapid metabolizers and ultra rapid metabolizers, so those who have the increased function versus the normal metabolizers. And so what this means is that those who have a normal metabolizer phenotype may be getting infections at a higher rate than those who have that increased activity of the enzymes, which could correlate to those lower plasma concentrations. As for the difference between our normal metabolizers and those who have reduced enzymatic activity, this study did not find a statistical difference between those two groups. So what does this all mean for clinical practice? Well, this study did show that patients who have a normal metabolizer phenotype, or you could um, correlate this to reduced enzymatic activity as well, due to no statistical difference there, that these patients may actually have a higher infection rate or even a higher risk of adverse reaction compared to patients who have this increased enzymatic activity. And the final study we will talk about today is looking at CYP2C19 variants and altered inter-individual responses to PPIs and then some antidepressants. And so this study did a few different things. The first thing they did was they sequenced the 5' flanking region of the CYP2C19 gene in our rapid omeprazole metabolizers. And the reasons they did this is they found that this star 17, this increased function allele, was shown to possibly have some correlation to those different responses. This study also then analyzed the CYP2C19 phenotype-genotype associations and normal metabolizers. And they used two different ethnic populations for looking at this. They used the Swedish and then Ethiopian. And then the final thing this study really did was look at this pharmacokinetic production studies and the relationship of the metabolic ratio of omeprazole compared to the area under the curve. And so what the study found was in the first um, objective that they wanted to look at, they wanted to assess some of these frequencies of this increased functional allele. And what they found was that in the Swedish and the Ethiopian populations, that the frequency of this allele was much higher compared to those of Asian descent which we saw in one of our previous studies that the Chinese population does have a much lower frequency of the star 17 or increased function allele. When looking at some of these pharmacokinetic parameters of this study, what they found was that patients who are star 1 star 1, which is wild type and translate to a normal metabolizer phenotype, had a much higher concentration of omeprazole compared to our patients who were either an ultra-rapid metabolizer, so had two star-17 alleles, compared to our rapid metabolizers, which had a star-1 and star-17 allele. This study also found that patients with the star-17, 17, star-17 17 genotypes, so again, ultra-rapid metabolizers, would attain a 35 to 40% lower AUC compared to our normal metabolizer phenotypes at standard doses. And so what does all of this mean? This means that patients who carry this increased functional allele, star 17, may actually be at an increased risk for therapy failures due to these lower concentrations of the PPIs within their body. And so what what do all of these three clinical studies really translate to in clinical practice? From our first two studies, we know that patients um, may have increased PPI exposure if they're a poor or intermediate metabolizer. So again, reduced enzymatic activity. The second study we looked at showed that patients who had a normal metabolizer phenotype or even those with a reduced metabolizer phenotype may be at an increased risk for adverse reactions, particularly infection rates. And so what this means and how we see these translated to clinical practice is through CPICS recommendations. And in the box on the right-hand slide here, I've outlined and read those recommendations that correlate to these two studies, and that patients who are an intermediate or poor metabolizer, if they're going to be using that PPI chronically for greater than 12 weeks, to consider reducing that dose by 50%. As for the third and final study we looked at today, how this translates to clinical practice, as we know, patients who have this increased functional allele, the STAR17, may have lower concentrations of PPIs, which can lead to therapy failure. So it's recommended that they may benefit from higher-than-standard doses. And we see these recommendations reflected in CPICS guidelines, particularly for our ultra-rapid metabolizers, where it's recommended to increase that starting dose by 100%, as well as for our rapid and normal metabolizers and those being treated for H. pylori or erosive esophagitis to increase that dose by 50 to 100%. I do want to point out that there isn't an area for additional studies and really assessing the impact of the STAR17 allele, as the majority of the studies looking at this impact were in the Asian population, which, um, as we know, has a much lower frequency of this STAR17
0: allele.
1: So, this brings me to our final question for today. A provider asks you for a recommendation on a patient who is a CYP2C19 poor metabolizer, with a plan to use pantoprazole 40 milligrams daily for eight weeks to treat GERD. What recommendation would you make? Answer A would be to increase their dose by 100 percent. B, increase their dose by 50 to 100 percent. C, decrease their dose by 50 percent. Or D continue their current dose. And again, you can respond online or text your answer to MayoRx at 22333. Okay, looks like we've got about the same results as we've had on the previous two questions. So I do agree with 93% of you and that I would recommend to continue their current pantoprazole dose as these patients, although they have this poor metabolizer phenotype, Currently, the plan is to, continue to use this treatment for only eight weeks. An option for when we would choose answer C here is if this patient were to need to continue this pantoprazole past 12 weeks. Then, per CPICS guidelines, we would recommend to consider decreasing that dose by 50% or cutting it in half. Answer B, increasing the pantoprazole dose, and answer A as well, increasing the dose by 100%. Those are more for patients who have a normal or even increased CYP2C19 activity. However, as our patient is taking this medication and we start to see them responding, if they weren't getting full relief with the use of cantoprazole 40 milligrams, we could then take that subjective information they provide and increase their dose based off of their individual response. So in summary of today's, lecture here, we can see that PPIs are primarily metabolized by CYP2C19 and that there is strong data linking CYP2C19 variants in the first-generation PPIs plus dexlan which is then depicted in CPIC's new 2020 dosing guidelines, where for our ultra-rapid metabolizers, it's it's recommended to increase that dose by 100% or double it. For our rapid metabolizers, where we consider an increase by 50 to 100% for specific disease states, and that also is for our normal metabolizers, and then for our intermediate or poor metabolizers, that they're going to be using that PPI for greater than 12 weeks to consider decreasing that dose by 50%. And finally, although we have all of these dosing guidelines, we have all of this primary literature that does show an association between this gene and these medications, Being aware of how each of our patients are responding to these medications is sometimes the most important piece of information we can have. And being able to adjust that patient's medication as necessary despite these dosing guidelines is something that is critical to us as healthcare providers. As for what Mayo Clinic is doing in response to these new PPI guidelines, we are currently working on creating a new Ask Mayo Expert content page for pharmacogenomics and PPIs which will then also be reflected in some new clinical decision support alerts.
0: If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe using iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Thank you for listening to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds. Join us weekly for more exciting clinical pharmacology topics.